Zion, welcome to church online this week again. Uh, summertime now, hope you're having a great summer. And we're continuing our series on the temple and the table. And we find this in Acts chapter 2, starting at verse 42. And it says this, and it's talking about the early church. It's talking about the early followers of Jesus. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, and the breaking of bread and in prayers. Then fear came on every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together, and they had all things in common. They sold their possessions and good and divided them amongst all as anyone had need. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house. They ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favour with all people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who have been saved. So here in this passage, you have them meeting together at the temple. Um, and they're also meeting together house to house. So, um, And we've entitled this series, The Temple and the Table, where the temple being our corporate gatherings, where we meet um, together at 1310 Racecourse Road at the moment, and we fellowship together, we worship together, we listen to teaching together. That's our temple service. And, and we're having one of those on the 23rd of January, which is fairly soon. It'll be great to see you there. But today, I want to focus more on the they met house to house and what that meant. So the title of my message today is At the Table. Um, and we're looking at the table. So what did these apostles do at the table? Well, if we read this um, scripture, we can see what they did. Um, they did these things. They focused on the apostles' teaching. So they studied the scriptures together. They, they looked at the Old Testament because they didn't have the New Testament then. It, it hadn't been written, but they had the Old Testament and they had the eyewitness account of the people that walked and lived with Jesus Christ. Oh, imagine that. So they studied these teachings of the apostles um, and they did that together. They fellowshiped. They they gathered together, they shared their lives with one another, they fellowshiped with one another. Um, what else? They broke bread together. They remembered the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. They remembered that Jesus' body was broken for us and that was a bread. And they remembered that he um, poured out his blood so that we could be cleansed from the burden of sin and the forgiveness that we find in that. And so they broke bread together. Um, they prayed together. Oh, the power of praying with more than one person and praying in agreement, it's a powerful thing. So, um, yeah, they did that. 
they were generous. We read that they shared things to, with each other. So they, they saw what other people's needs were and they met them. So when you're meeting together house to house, you can look, oh, well, what do you guys need? How can we help you? How can we be generous to one another um, as we meet at the table? And finally, in verse 47, it said that they were praising God. So praise and worship is another aspect of what they did at the table. And look, as you meet house to house, you do not need to do all of these things all the time. You may focus on just doing one or one or two. Um, in fact, I think if you, if you did all of them together, you, you'd probably find that that's too much. Um, but yeah, up to you. It's your house. It's, it's you who are inviting other people in. So look, if you want to do all of those things and tick every box, well, I'm not going to stop you, but if you just want to concentrate on having fellowship or doing a Bible study or, or praying together or be prophetic ministry together, look, just you can do any, of, or, any or all of those things. But I, I just want to now look at the last verse. In fact, the last part of the last verse, and it says this, And the Lord added to the church daily those who have been saved. The Lord added to the church daily those who have been saved. So they, as they met at the temple and worship, but then as they met from house to house. So what does this tell you about who was there when they went house to house? Who was at their table? Well, quite simply, they must have had non-believers also at their table. For the Lord to add to their numbers daily, they just simply must have been there. They must have had non-Christians to their table. And so likewise, uh, we should also be having people who are not yet believers come to our table. You see, in our circles of influence, there are many people who do not know Christ. There are many people who do not have the hope, that do not have the joy that we have through knowing Jesus Christ. Um, and I bet you if you invited most of them to your house, they would say yes. Or better, a lot of them would say yes. However, if you invited them to church, they'd go, oh, no, and you wouldn't get many of them coming to church where they were may well come to your house. So, yeah, we're really excited about this temple and table model and, and, and believe that um, God has got his hand on many people in this town, that he's drawing many people to himself. Um, and so as you have your table meetings, we want you to, to prayerfully consider who in your sphere of influence you could possibly invite to your table to have fellowship with you, have fellowship with other believers. Um, and but it's scary, isn't it? Isn't that scary to, um, to be thinking about non-Christians? I mean, what if they ask a question that I can't answer the, know the answer to. What if they ask about how the dinosaurs got into the ground and and how that lines up with the Bible? Gosh, I, I don't know if I could answer that. And let me tell you, I think I can answer that and I probably wouldn't say it because they would think I'm nuts. But anyway, but 
you know, we don't have to be theologically inclined to, um, to witness to people to Christ. In fact, I want to look at one, no, I want to look at John chapter one now. And it's talking about another band came on, John the Baptist. So the, the book of John was written by John the Apostle, and here he's talking about John the Baptist. It's very confusing. It's a little bit like having Pastor Phil and Elder Phil. Very confusing. Um, but we manage, and anyway. So John chapter 1, verse 6. There was a man from God whose name was John. And this man came for a witness, to bear witness to the light, that all through him might believe. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness to that light, that the true light which gives light to every man coming into the world. Saying here that John the Baptist was a witness. And you know, we are also called to be witnesses. Now, what does a witness do? Now, a witness doesn't need to have um, advanced theological knowledge or advanced knowledge about the things they are witnessing to. They simply need to be able to tell people what they saw. That's what a witness does. They, they give a, an account of what they've seen. And so if anyone asks you about God or the things of God, you can tell them about what you've seen. You can tell them about how you've seen um, your life go from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. You can tell them about how you've been in hard times and, and God has seen you through them. You can give testimony of to all the times that God has um, helped you and, and provided for you. Um, and no one can deny it because it's your story, it's your testimony. So we are being witnesses. We do not need to worry about talking to non-Christians because we don't need all that theological knowledge. We just need to testify, to give our testimony about what God has done in our lives. And... Um, you know, there's real power to testimony. Do you know how powerful testimonies are? Well, I'm going to read a verse in, in Revelations. Revelations chapter 12 verse 11 says this. And it's talking about the devil here. It's talking about the enemy. They overcame him. They overcame sin. They overcame the devil by the blood of the Lamb, by the blood of Jesus, and by the word of their testimony, and that they did not love their lives to their death. So a testimony, their testimony about God was one of the things that overcame Satan. Um, wow, your testimony is powerful. You're the story you have, the witness that you can be, the story is extremely powerful. Don't ever underestimate the power of your testimony. And, you know, not only do we have a story, 
they all have a story too. And that they're in the middle of a story and they may not know God, but the fact that you are having them to your house, the fact that God has placed them on your heart and that um, it means that they are too in the middle of a story of redemption, a middle of a story coming uh, of coming to Christ. And um, yeah, there's a saying that goes like this, it's love people until they ask why. So you may not be an evangelist. I am not an evangelist. I don't go around telling people they need Jesus that are unsaved. Um, but I do love them. I've got many non-Christian friends and I try to love them as best as I can. Um, and I love that saying, love people until they ask why. And I, I was I was looking it up for my uh, for the sermon and I thought, I Googled it. I thought, I know I've heard that before. Where have I heard that before? So I Googled it. And and do you know what the first thing that came up? It was it was a quote from a Facebook page of Daughters of the King in Te Awamudu, um, a, a, a ministry set up from Zion um, for the encouragement of, of young women um, that they could be all they are in Christ. So just great. You love people till they ask why. You don't need to be an evangelist. You just need to love people. You see, the table, having people to the table is the ministry of the people, not just the ministry of the pastors or the elders. Um, you see, all are called to be ministers. Um, if we read Ephesians Chapter 4, verse 11, it says this, And he gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. So here it's saying that we all have a ministry, that God is calling us all into a ministry. And it's my job as an elder and leader of this church and Pastor Phil's job as the, as the senior pastor of this church to equip you for the ministry that God has for you. Um, and we believe strongly, look, and you might have a ministry within this church, you might be on the music team, you might have something, but, but we also believe you have a ministry to, to minister to the people out there that do not know God. And folks, there's a revival coming, a believer, where it's coming. So God has got his hand on many people in this town to draw him to yourself. And how is he going to draw him? Well, it's going to be through people like me. It's going to be through people like you, that God is going to draw these people that he's calling in, in this revival that's coming. Um, so we need you to be equipped as a minister, minister of the gospel. And we believe that this bringing people to your table is, um, is a key aspect of how God is going to move in the next season um, in Te Awamutu. Um, so what, you think, wow, yeah, okay, we'll invite some non-Christians to our table. But then I talked about the things that the apostles did, or that the, of the early church did, as far as um, they did, they, they did the apostles' teaching, they did the fellowship, the breaking of bread, prayer, generosity, and praise. Well, what, what would they look like if, um, if we've got non-believers there? Um, and I'm going to start with the easy one. I'm going to start with the easy one. I'm going to start with fellowship. You see, that might be all you need to do. You see, 
I'm going to quote the words of Jesus now. In Matthew 5, verse 14, Jesus says this. You, and that's you, that's you who's listening, are the light of the world. A city on a hill, a city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand. And it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. You see, as you fellowship with people, people will see the light of Jesus Christ living in your heart. They will see that there's something different about you, that they, will, they, they would be drawn to that which is within you. What else does the Bible say? Let's look at 2 Corinthians chapter 2. Verse 14, now thanks be to God who leads us in triumph in Christ and through us diffuses the fragrance, fragrance of his knowledge in every place. For we are to God the fragrance of Christ to those who are being saved and those who are perishing. To one we are the aroma of death leading to death, and to the other the aroma of life leading to life. Interesting, we are the fragrance of Christ. And, and it's curious how he makes a distinction between the people who are being drawn to Christ, and, and he's actually talking about people who aren't yet saved, to the people who are being saved, so the people in the process of coming to Christ, and he makes a distinction for, for those who are completely turned away. And that to both of them we're the fragrance of Christ, but for some of them we smell different. Some of them don't like that smell, but others are drawn to it. And so we are a light and we are the fragrance. So as we fellowship with people, people will smell the fragrance of Christ upon us. They will see our light in us. Um, and, but it's a challenge, isn't it? It's a challenge. Are we living a life that is the fragrance of God? Are we demonstrating God's light as we um, live our lives? You know, or do we look the same as everyone else around us, except for the fact we go to church on Sunday? That's a real challenge. You see, people aren't going to be drawn to us, drawn to the light inside us, if we're exactly the same as them, or they're not going to smell the fragrance of Christ on us if we do everything the same as them, except for on Sunday we go to church. No. Um, you see, people aren't looking for more of the same, but then go to a club on Sunday. They're not. In fact, I want to look at the work of, um, there was a historian, he recently passed away, um, a guy called Larry Hurtado, um, passed away in 2019, but he was a historian who looked specifically at the history of the early church, and he made this, this amazing point. He said, in 300 years, a tiny, violently persecuted, tiny little Jewish sect became the dominant force in the Roman Empire and eventually overcame paganism and overcame the Roman Empire itself. So it went from this tiny little sect of people to overcoming the whole Roman Empire. And how did they do this? Well, I can tell you now, it was not by being like the people around them. 
Um, in fact, the people were drawn to the early church because they were so radically different to what they saw in the world around them. Um, and how were they so profoundly different? Well, um, who, who, Larry Hudato makes five distinctions. One is that he believe, is that the early church believed in the equality and diversity of all people. So every um, you know race was there. They were multi-ethnic. Um, you know they had people with disabilities, um, men and women together. Um, two, he notes that it was spread over socio-economic lines. So you could have a, a high person in the Roman, um, you know, Roman aristocracy fellowshipping together with a slave. I mean, that was unheard of. That just did, did not happen. Um, yet people saw that happening in the church and that was radically different to anything that had and, and they were drawn to that. How else were they radically different? How was the church radically different? Well, sexual purity. You see, the fact that sex is between a husband and wife till death do us part, um, that was much more radical back in the first century AD than it is today. Um, it just just didn't happen. So that was something that was um, very different um, and from the world that they lived in at the time, which was um, full of all sorts of stuff. Uh, so that's another way that the early church was radically different to the society they lived in. And the saving of infants. In those days, they would just leave unwanted pregnancies. The babies would be left to die. And the church was very, very active in saving these babies, very active um, in adopting babies out and forming adoption societies because they treasured life. Like life, all life was important. Um, so that was another thing that were radically different. And the last thing that Larry Hudato noted that the early church was different was their commitment to non-violence. You see, they, despite of intense persecution, they never retaliated. So if the people of the early um, first century were drawn to the church because it was radically different to what um, they saw in the world around them, well, we don't need to try and mirror the world around us either. We also need to be different from the world around us. We also need to have that fragrance of Christ upon us. We also need to have be that light on the hill, which is different from those around us. So that is fellowship. And gosh, I sort of went all over the place with that. But the thing is that that might be all you need to do. People need to see Christ in you. And you can do that through fellowship. Um, what about the apostles' teaching? Well, how do you do that in, um, if you've got non-Christians? Well, I would say if you are going to do any Bible studies and there's non-Christians, you want to keep it simple. You want to keep it to the gospel message. But more than that, you know, the idea of table is that everyone gets involved. It's not a guy standing at the front teaching, but everyone gets involved. So, hey, ask them, hey, 
What do you think about God? And listen to them, like genuinely listen to their story because look, they're on a journey and they have a story too. And once you've heard their story, you might be saying, well, have you considered this though? And you, you, can, you can discuss, you can open the discussion, but look, you're not going to get anywhere just by preaching to people. You need to have a dialogue. You need to listen to that. They have a conversation with them and listen to their story and, and just be led as that story develops, you can bring Jesus into it. What else? Um, breaking of bread. Um, up to you whether you do that or not with non-Christians. I'm, I'm, I'm going to skip that out as far as this message goes. Prayer. You know, most people have needs in their life, and that's where listening to people's story is. And if nothing else, when you've heard people's story, you can say, look, I'm going to pray for you. And just about everyone I know, um, who when I say, oh, we're going to pray for you, and if they're going through something, they really appreciate that. And look, if you say you're going to pray for someone, I want you to then go and actually generally pray for them. Don't just say, oh God, remember that thing we talked about? You do that. No, actually sit down and spend some time wrestling with God for that person, you know, because God is at hand and you, you, you know, God's laid that person on your heart. So you want to be spending time praying for them. And look, if you're comfortable to, you can even offer to, to pray for them there and there. And in my time, I've prayed for a lot of non-Christians over the time, mainly if they're sick. And I've had about two, two of them, when I said, look, can I say a short prayer for you? Uh, two of them say no. And all the rest have said, yes, yes, they've been happy for me to, to pray for them. So look, if you're bold enough, you can pray for them then and there. Um, but if not, just pray for, them in, um, pray for them in your own time later. Generosity. We heard the early church were generous to one another. Um, but it, and as a church, we tend to be generous to one another. If someone has a need, we'll take a meal round to them. But have you ever thought of doing that to a non-Christian that's in need? Like if they've got a sick child or just had a baby and or they're sick and you take a meal round for them? Um, I can tell you, it absolutely blows their mind. Um, it's, this is something that's radically different to what they're used to. Um, I find that among non-Christian people, they are generally the fiercely independent and people will not ask for help even if they need it because there's just that independent spirit going on out there. However, so that's where you need to be observant and you need to be creative. So if you see someone in need, go and help them. You know, just like drop off, hey, look, I see that you're sick, here's a meal. You know, or I see you need this done here, I'm going to come and help you do it. Be generous to people. And, you know, especially if you're having them round to your table, you know, look for ways you could, you could be generous um, to the people at your table. Um, the last one is praise. Um, what the early church, they were praising God. So maybe, put, maybe if you like singing and they like singing, you could sing some songs or you could maybe just have some, some um, worship music or Christian music in the background. Once again, we don't need to do all of these. Um, and you don't want to... Put them off that they never come again which if i started singing I, that would happen yeah so um 
But why do we want non-Christians to the table? But it's because God is wanting to grow his church. He's wanting to grow his kingdom in this place. You see, it says in the Bible, as many received him, he gave the right to become children of God, those who believed in his name. We want people to believe in the name of Jesus Christ. And remember, people are on a journey. Um, it's not that one day they, you tell them the gospel and they get saved. Some people were far from God. In fact, it says that, um, that, we, that we used to be enemies of God. I used to be an enemy of God. Um, it says this in Romans 5, starting at verse 8. But God demonstrates his own love towards us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having been justified by his blood, shall we be saved through wrath from him. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through death of his, um, through the death of his son, how much more being reconciled shall we be saved through his life? And not only that, we will also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have received the reconciliation. So we were enemies of God. And I know I was. I was once very anti-Christian. Very. I was into this new agey stuff. And look, I had a friend and she could see I was searching spiritually, but I was searching in the wrong place. And she did invite me to church. <laughs> and, I, and I did go. Funnily enough, I kept on going back. Um, but look, people are going to be much more likely to come to your house than they are to And it's a process. I know it took God months to go from being an enemy of God over here to being ready to embrace him and come into his kingdom over here. And look, your job may not be to move them past that point of salvation. It may just be about getting them that first step where from being completely opposed to God, they're taking a step this way to being not so opposed to God. And then maybe in a, a little while longer, they'll, they'll move a little bit further this way. But it's, you know, unless you're fellowshipping them, unless you're being that fragrance of Christ, um, you know, how are they even going to move that far? And maybe God's calling you to, to lead them through the sinner's prayer. Maybe God's calling you to bring them to that point of salvation. And hallelujah, if that is the, if that is the case. And maybe you're listening to this and you're thinking, well, actually, I don't know God. I don't know Jesus Christ. I, I know that I've fallen short of the, um, of the things that um, are required of me, and I know that I'm a sinner, but, you know, what else do I do? Well, I want you to know Romans chapter 3 says this, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And I just want to put an invitation out there as I finish this mission now, just want you to know that if you do not know Jesus Christ, um, it's as simple as praying to him and asking him into his life. And, and if you do do that and you want to know more, please um, put a message down below or contact the church. And we're more than happy to um, help you in that and get you involved in that. But guys, thank you for listening. I really encourage you to continue meeting um, together at the table. Um, Pray earnestly about who God might be drawing to himself through you and invite them also to your table. And I really look forward to seeing you guys at our temple service on the 23rd of January. Uh, let me just pray for you. 
Dear Jesus, I thank you for Zion. I pray that your blessing upon everyone listening. I pray, I thank you that you have many people in Te Awamutu and the surrounding area that you are drawing to yourself. Lord, would you give us wisdom of how we are to be that fragrance of Christ to them, how we are to be the, the light of the world to them. Lord, I thank you for everyone listening. Bless them lots. And um, in the name of Jesus Christ, amen.